Hey, gals, guys, and otherwise, this is Jonathan O'Roseland. I was drinking a sip of water, so I was not <laughs> ready for that. My name's Noah. You probably know me better as Paul. Don't do the you probably know me better. Oh, you yeah, know that's, better. That's Well, I th- that's how I introduce myself on my other podcast, John. Well, f- oh, my God. Dude, I forgot <laughs> how torn you are between two worlds. <laughs> you poor fucking thing. <laughs> Hey, gals, guys, and otherwise, this is Jonathan O'Roseland. And I'm Noah, and you're listening to... <laughs> AKA. No, I'm done with the AKA. I'm, I, I'm, I'm oh, moving just... on. I'm just Noah, John. We're in a post-polyphonic world now. I'm the artist you formerly known first. as Polyphonic. It is safe to assume that by the time this episode drops, Polyphonic will be no more. I mean, all I need to do is hit a million subs, and then I'm piecing into the night. Oh, oh my God! Well, now we have a new we have a new goal for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. The, the it's a million subs, face reveal, and gone. That's the that's the game plan. <laughs> it's a face reveal that you see through a slowly closing door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just the end of it's a face reveal. The face reveal is a shot of me walking away and turning back briefly to look at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> you just like smile and nod. Yeah, walk yeah, away exactly. Into the blinding light. Well, yeah. that's great. Noah, uh, formerly of Polyphonic, we're talking about issue number 41 today, uh, in which we finally answer, what's the biggest time suck? The giant space baby or this just this whole effort? You is the time suck. Great. Well, let's, let's, let's take a closer look. I could say that now because it's up for grabs. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're in it. Do we do? Should we get started with this cover? Let's get started with this cover. Not any other cover. What is this cover? This cover. So this cover is uh, an action shot. We've got Marco in the front with uh, the bat shield that he got from what's her name? Do you remember her name, Ginny? Yes. Yeah, I think it's Ginny. Anyways, the bat shield and sword looks like he's like deflecting a laser beam, and behind him is Alana with uh, a laser rifle firing a beam, uh, and it's all kind of washed in this green light, like the lasers here. It's a, it's a pretty honestly, as far as as this is not this is not to disparage the cover because like everything Fiona touches, it's magic. But as far as saga covers go, I don't think it's it's that. Uh, spectacular of a cover you know it's a pretty it's a pretty normal saga cover this is i i described this in my notes as just a a really good comic cover yes like this is yeah this is something that you'd see on this would be the best cover on all the other non-saga yes, comics essentially yeah. i i it's interesting that we've gotten a, a string of the uh characters in the void for the the cover yeah that's true yeah yeah and it's all it's all this like gradient void too like there's a ramp behind them yeah and it it feels very appropriate because we have so much nighttime uh on on fang and and i like that we kind of transitioned into those void covers with uh with the isabel and hazel uh, princess oh, yeah, cover void, yeah and uh and we get 
Pink Void, great band. We get uh, a few stars. It looks like some stars in the background. Well, actually, I don't know. Is that stars in the background, or is it her like casting a spell? Because they're around her, her finger, but they're also kind of sprinkled around. I'm going to say they're stars in the background, are you, but are strategically you, placed. Are you... Which... The, the princess cover. Uh, okay, you're, so you're no longer talking about the cover that I'm looking at because I was like, no, Where the hell but are I'm the saying stars? there's. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like it's almost like they transitioned into the fo- the void with the covers because we started this arc with the the big wraparound battle cover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we started to get into the void where it's just like it's one of those very Fiona Staples things, uh, where. It's like you can't really tell if it's abstract or if it's just using space very strategically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's it's mostly abstract, but it, that it's appropriate that we get the void with these ones because we're all like so much of this series takes place at dusk or night in this uh, this arc. Yeah, I think that's a that's that's a good point. I don't, I really don't have anything add to add to that. Ooh, last thought. Tight a tight thirty nine minutes for this episode. A tight thirty nine. Tight thirty nine. I I was I was thinking because you know that struck me the same where it's like yeah this is a solid cover. It's even the it's even the what they use on the volume uh, volume seven cover is this cover which is interesting. I guess because it's an action shot. I was thinking how much more impactful this cover would be if you could see Alana's uh, pregnant belly. Yeah, better. you can kind of see you can kind of get the edges of it but yeah i agree i agree you just swapped their positions like or just made it just her and if it was just a fully pregnant woman shooting a a laser rifle yeah that that would be so much more saga so we got a couple notes for you fiona um yeah yeah you're doing Sweetheart, you're doing great. <laughs> no, don't. No, John. I mean, you're doing great, John, honey. No. John. <laughs> John. You know. No. <laughs> All right, we let's have, get into this we issue. We become assholes. So let's let's get to let's get to scene number one. We open on a splash page of a haggard-looking petrichor, her clothes torn, a blue magic flame in her hand. She says, we're all going to die, and I don't mean, like, eventually. We turn the page and see that she's talking to Jabara. Petricor tells her about the blue cap and the time suck that Fang is headed toward, but Jabara seems calm. She says that God will keep Fang safe. Petricor interrupts this preaching to say that she smells something unfamiliar in the air, and we cut away to see on top of a nearby building, there is a ship parked there. A ship that looks kind of like one of those like helicopter seed things. And bam, that's that's the scene. That's how you do it in a tight 39, John. There we go. Uh, yeah, I could, I don't, is there a name for, does anyone call them something other than helicopter Helicopters. seeds? Yeah, I, well, this is the thing. I knew I called them helicopter, but I was self-conscious about you making fun of me for that because i didn't know whether that was a canadian I literally thing or have, not <laughs> i literally just have in my notes the helicopter seed ship yeah yeah and that's Which, it but it's also <laughs> so funny because it looks nothing like a helicopter um, it functions as such i also just of. love i love saga's ethos of ship design because there's like a lot of you know, you know, like a lot of talk of like Star Wars ship design, like famously, you know, the slave one is a street light and, you know, the Millennium Falcon is a hamburger with a bite out of it and stuff like that. And it's like 
Saga ab like takes that one step more direct, and it's like, oh, what mm -hmm. about a ship that looks like a helicopter seed? No, what about a ship that is a helicopter seed? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's an interesting kind of uh, take on because the big big thing with Saga or with uh, Star Wars that they that they talk about a lot with the design of it is that it's very simple shapes. They use a lot yeah. of simple shapes. It's not a bunch of stuff stuck on other stuff. It's like, you know, uh, a TIE fighter is line, circle, line. X-Wing is just an X. And it's just like, yeah, they're very they're very restrained in that to make it very iconic and very, uh, very easily recognizable. And so I like the idea of that parallel thinking of, let's just make it objects. <laughs> let's, yeah. It's a train, let's just make it a dragon. <laughs> The um the other thing I love about this ship is uh as we will see later in the issue um am I allowed to spoil later in the issue I think I am um sure. it belongs to the march and I yeah, love yeah. the way the helicopter is like the the twin seeds stuck together like yeah. the march like the there's I, I love that it's just a nice little nice little parallel. Do you think that's how the march, their origin story, is that there are two seeds, sperm, stuck together? I think that's how And they turned works, out that way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I guess it kind of, I don't know. I think they're just, I think it's just uh, uh, two twins, non-conjoined, just one is holding the other one. <laughs> the other one's got their arms sticking out. I don't, I, and, and the Which hands by that are logic, the exact it's same. The, <laughs> by that logic, it's probably the, uh, the... <laughs> the feminine one is is carrying the masculine one with the big yes, bulky arms. Yes, in the, in the masculine I love their that. Arms out. Okay, except well, that, that we literally see that, their chest all the time. I, I think that no, I think that this is it's that's they're using some kind of holographic technology for that for sure. <laughs> okay, but uh, okay, I think is, I think okay, another another John theory in the books here. Another thing, just to come back to what we talked about last episode, yes, uh, talking sky. about how good the the blue the blue lighting here is, and how much that how smart it is to match that with the uh, the blue flame of the the yeah. uh, wreath uh, spell casting light, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's well, just the the blue sky is this like real ominous reminder that they're closing in on the time suck um i think it's interesting too because i think we're starting to see a bit of a different side of jabara in this scene a little um starting to get to know her a bit better it seems like she's hiding something when petrichor comes she says dearie you can't believe everything you wrestle out of those blue caps they're as unreliable as they are aggressive um and the blue cap mm. did not seem very aggressive toward petrichor yeah, it seemed like, but also, here's the thing: Petricor's all beat up. Yeah, and is this is this implying that like she she literally just beat this had a fucking battle with this mushroom and we did yeah. not get to see it? Because I'm pissed about that. I I I kind of assumed it was just like her like rushing back through like the swampy water and stuff like that. Like she was but, just like yeah. But then she also says, uh, "I did dot dot dot." persuade one of your local fungi so like yeah that's I true it's just it's a it's a weird uh, little yeah yeah because maybe that's something where there was something like left on the editing room floor or something like that it's because, probably a deleted scene yeah because last issue where Petricor, are those pages i'm 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 trying to find the exact uh like i don't think we 
missed anything. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah no, it, it, uh, she like she's just told about like, uh, where are we going? Actually, the real question is, where are we going? So I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It just, they did. She's literally they walk, walking around, and the blue cap goes lose something, dearie. I mean, just beat him up for that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's something that's uh, that's a weird little incongruity. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, we're just it is... tearing Saga apart this <laughs> this episode, John. <laughs> uh, uh, as long as we keep it a type thirty nine, that's what we, if that's what we gotta do. We gotta be a teardown podcast to keep it a type thirty nine. I'm all for it. I I know teardown media famously is well edited <laughs> and runs nice and short. <laughs> Always a type thirty nine. Uh, <laughs> type thirty nine hours. Uh, also, one thing that I wanted to touch on a bit is, uh, is, uh, it's just, I think it's interesting that, uh, Petricor has this, which I'm just now making the connection in my mind, has this, like, bizarre, unnaturally good sense of smell, uh, and I'm now just now making the connection that, uh, her name's literally in reference to a smell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so that's an interesting, just... Like it, that's we don't necessarily see a lot of we see these little quirks with characters that generally go unexplained, like uh, Sophie having that connection to yeah Fang and stuff, and uh, but I just always, I just think it's it's kind of cool, and I wonder if we'll uh, I, I I I don't even wonder if we're gonna get I highly doubt we'd get any sort of explanation for why she's just bizarrely good at smelling. But I just think it's a cool little. I love that Saga can do character quirks that probably should have explanations, but just yeah. don't because everything in the world just it's is just, yeah. People just are able to do stuff absurd. Yeah, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel forced. Like it's not like this is some like wild power. She's just real good at smelling shit. Yeah, she just smells. She just smells stuff. She's a smelly. Anything else for the scene, or are we good to go? Nope, that's all I got. All right. We pick up where we last left off in the end of the last issue with Prince Robot the Fourth pressing, or I guess Sir Robot now, pressing his arm blaster to his own head. Alana pleads with him, saying Squire would be haunted for the rest of his life and that he doesn't want to do this. The Four responds, No, but perhaps it's best I finally do what's right instead of merely pursuing what I want. On the back half of that sentence, an image of Alana with a ball gag in her mouth appears on his screen. Uh, Alana is disgusted by this and four covers his screen. He has no idea what he's projecting. That's when a very confused Marco walks in. Uh, Four redirects the blaster towards Marco in surprise. uh, As Alana tells Marco to grab the Eiffel Ray from the Ozit clay. (laughs) I assume that's as Everyone knows robots don't speak pig Latin. (laughs) I love the idea of that. That's the one way to to trick their wiring. Uh, uh, Marco starts his usual no need for weapons spiel, but he's interrupted by four yelling, die Mooney cunt, with the word sorry on his screen. And no, it's sort of in that like dark green, ripply, gooey deflated yep. mylar balloon it's yep. like backlit okay, yep. but it's sort of light green light with very it's very yep. sloppy. I, I got it yep, and that's I sort got of fade away font uh, yes so 
Spore blasts Marco, who uses the bat shield to block the shot, sending him flying backwards. He slams into a wall and goes unconscious. Four has a moment of clarity and regret, just as Alana clanks the table lamp against the back of his head. He hits the ground with a blue error screen. Alana kneels beside Marco as blood pools around his head. The HTN wraps up by saying, by the time they're out of preschool, most children have already seen thousands of acts of violence. And a lot of action, a lot of yeah. high stakes here. I love, I love how when uh, robot like turns around and says em- "enemy contact," his pose with his cannon out and like his other hand is up. It kind of looks like he's like oh, it's... fencing, you know? Yeah, like fence it. Yeah, that's yeah, great. yeah. Which I think is very fits thematically with the like medieval robot thing. <laughs> I love that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, I like the uh, I like the bad shrimp, tri- bad shrimp. I like bad the bad trip. trip. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just like the bad shrimp, dude. You know what I mean. I also I also love the shame in robot, the what am I revealing? I implore you look away. Like yeah, he doesn't yeah. he doesn't actually know what's on his screen, which m- makes me wonder like I feel like he can I feel like he can consciously choose to put stuff on his screen, but sometimes stuff just unconsciously goes there. Yeah, I'm guessing it's, you know, when he's in some kind of a certain psychological states, almost like a self-control type thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, he's dreaming or he's high or whatever. Or he's we've also seen it in, like, moments of intense emotion, yeah. Yeah, I, I again, I think my favorite is still that the swirling screen when he's yeah. interrogating. Yeah. It's so fucking rad. I also just really like, because there it's a very complicated uh, 180 line throughout these two scenes uh the end of last issue and this one but i really like the uh first of all they can get a little disorienting because it's a very uh hectic uh disorienting scene uh and everyone in it is disoriented uh but i really like the uh going from the first page to the second page here having that 180 line on the other side of the room and then we have Marco walk in, which is still on that 180 line. Uh, but it's so cool that we usually get the white background with, you know, just the character, no background uh, for, you know, things that are like we noticed a lot where it's uh, s- people are smaller in it. And so it, yeah. it gets away like it gets rid of the clutter, or the details and stuff. But I like how this is kind of a way to make it a blank slate to break the 180 line because you have to get readjusted again. And then to have that with his, and this is also a great eyeline thing, have him spinning around too. Yeah, his, he's pivoting, yeah. Yeah, so that's just a, a really cool way to to break the 180 line. I like it. It's. I, I also love him, like, he's looking directly at the reader in that blank panel, which I always really like. Um, mm-hmm. I think Fiona Staples does that well. Man, R- Robot is, it's, it. You you know, it's interesting to think, like, how you mentioned the interrogation scene and mm-hmm. just, like, how much of a wreck of a man he's become. How, he, like, when you first meet him, he's so <laughs> yeah. cool and cold and in control, and he's just, just an absolute fucking mess here. Like, his, honestly, he's, he's, his arc has been so interesting. Um, It's just, like, your mention of the interrogation scene just reminded me how far we've come with him i think when you read this like you know one issue at a time very closely 
sometimes you you don't notice the the macro changes and he's really like we're yeah. we're we're seeing we're seeing a man literally hitting rock bottom here yeah except i guess he's not literally hitting rock bottom because he's literally hitting a lush mossy carpet (laughs) (laughs) yeah and yeah it's just it's so interesting that i think one of the most well-defined characters in this uh in terms of like personality and what you can imagine them saying or doing versus what you can't imagine them saying or doing uh I think that it's interesting that the grayscale guy with no face, no face. is one yeah. of the is one of the most like specifically characterized uh, people in this comic. Uh, makes me really happy. Yeah, yeah, and and is very in is characterized in such a human way. He's such yeah. a human character. And yeah, it's all those small, little, subtle things like that slight difference in uh, in font, and like you yeah out with the the fencing pose and stuff, where they find such cool ways to convey that. Also, can we just appreciate Kalank and Wonk? <laughs> Kalank and Wonk are fantastic, and I can't wait till those characters show up in the next <laughs> arc. But um... Clank Clank and Wonk was my favorite '90s video game. <laughs> Uh, I was gonna say I I love how how much they are always conscious of, and this is this is very hard to do, uh, especially in a comic that has such a strict sort of economy of panels in space. Uh, the fact that they are they always always show the transforming and untransforming hand yeah for the for the arm blaster. Uh, we get a really good one where it almost looks like a a baggy like a sleeve like yeah, it's like transforming sleeve, back yeah. up into his arm uh which is is cool to imagine yeah i i appreciate that that like you know i'm sure we could go back through and find if there are times that 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 they don't include that but i feel like i always notice them doing that yeah and that's just a really tricky detail to keep track of uh for everyone involved so we 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 see you we appreciate you I also just love everything about this lamp. Like you've got the lamp. We we literally talked about the lamp with Andrew last episode. It, when uh like um Alon is telling uh Marco to grab the Eiffel Ray, we see her mm-hmm. picking up the lamp. Like there's it's this lamp is very well telegraphed that it's going to be important yeah. dating back to last issue. Chekhov's lamp. Yeah. And I think the last thing I want to point out from this scene uh is a especially you know observing Haley's lettering regularly uh i i kind of spot those uh those panels that it's like i know it was tough to figure out how to make this work and i like how much how elegant of a, a solution this is but when marco walks in the the panel prior we get him saying alana from from off oh yeah and instead of the normal uh off panel literally the tail going to off of the panel it instead disappears behind prince robot uh and shows up in front of alana so we literally get that again to help with that 180 line and the understanding where everyone is like the blocking of the scene we get where he is spatially between them uh and uh and i just i like that idea of it being off panel but just 
from coming from behind someone else instead of literally. Yeah, that's that's such a little invisible thing that that yeah. helps orient you. I also I also want to quickly note the um, the panel where Alana hits robot. Mm -hmm. The motion in that is really great because we have her hitting on the backswing after after hitting his head right like it's it's mm -hmm. an interesting thing because her arms actually flying backward away from him after hitting mm -hmm. the head like it's a it's a it's an interesting movement and you really get kind of the idea of the whole arc that she did and again it, it helps with like you know your eye line kind of uh yeah uh, emphasizing that swing it's good shit yeah it's good shit. Good scene Good scene. Good scene. Good shit. Next scene. Scene number three. So we get the THN. By the time they're out of preschool, most children have already seen thousands of acts of violence. Um, granted, for the average kid, these acts are mostly fictional. And unlike the real deal, fictional violence is cool as shit. Beneath that, we see Hazel and Curdy playing hide-and-go-seek. Curdy's hiding in some sort of tube when the march appears and starts speaking with him. They pick Curdy up and put a sword to his throat, calling out that they wish to speak to Marco and announcing that they've executed Isabel. Alana watches from high up in the rocket ship tree. We end on a shot of Hazel covering her ears and we get THN. The sight of actual violence sucks, but it's the sound that always bothered me most. Shit's picking up. Shit's Ugh. getting tense. And it's it's interesting. I really noticed this because of the way that we summarize the scenes. But as this arc has been going, this issue, these scenes are short and snappy. Like, you really get the sense of a lot of things happening in a short time because of how, like, quickly paced these scenes are. Yeah, yeah. And and it, they really keep up that... Uh that tension too in addition to those those quicker scenes you know we literally just somewhat resolved the end of last issue and we immediately get into a new like high yeah. stakes tension thing it's fucking relentless now this fucking arc dude oh the big takeaway from this scene for me is that i believe did we know before or is this the first time we learned the name of the uh grizzly boar or whatever it's werebore. That's is that what I what's think, the pig I think, called? Uh I think in the scene that Isabel dies, we okay. learn it's bootstraps. I think we Which have is so adorable. much shit to talk about. Uh yeah. It's yeah. it's just an adorable name. I'm in love with this little pig. Well we're we're gonna get into some uh interesting bootstrap stuff uh next issue. It's a very it's a very uh Avatar the Last Airbender, just like we can bind a thing with a thing. Yep. It's a grizzly boar. The um it's just good wordplay too. Yeah, yeah. I mean good wordplay, it feels like so much of saga comes from the idea of wordplay kind of made physical, you know? L l like there's so many things yeah. that are just like amazing names that are then given this physical personification it's so fun I, I i like to think that you know when brian kevon was just sitting in his apartment uh and just like saw his cat lying down he was like wait a second <laughs> lying cat 
Lion Cat. And then this universe exploded in his mind. Yeah. <laughs> Just, it's this brilliant wordplay. I do love that Lion Cat really, like, it's it's become so just commonplace and sort of synonymous with the character and stuff that you don't really think about it. But that really does feel like one of those, and this happens with me constantly with writing, one of those things where you just have a placeholder name for the character and it just sticks it around. It sticks, yeah. And it, and it just becomes, you become so endeared to that. Uh, that placeholder name. I'm 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 also a big fan in this scene. We've got the uh, the glow bugs are back, and they're just mm-hmm. again just the look of uh, they're they're such a little piece of world building that will play in shortly, but also just like look so pretty and add this weird like r- psychedelic tinge to this scene. Even in this like dark space, they look like little bits of confetti. Yeah, I, the the vibe it was giving me in this scene, I think just because of the tone of it, but it's that thing of like when there's a fire in a movie yeah, and, there's and you sparks. get the little cinders and sparks and stuff uh, where it's just, you know, just adding to that tension on a very subconscious level. Uh, yeah, no, those are gorgeous. I also like that on the panel where it says, unlike the real deal, fictional violence is cool as shit. Um, yeah. Hazel is doing the ready or not here I come and says and if you jump out and scare me again I will punch you uh, which again like really leaning into the the it, it's interesting throughout this arc we've seen a lot of the violence that Hazel has in her as a child raised in an incredibly violent environment right yeah and, and that's something that we, we mentioned uh, last episode but we just didn't have the time to yeah. talk about it. We were on such a strict, strict thirty-nine for a that tight last episode. Thirty-nine, yeah. Uh, but uh, but I, I mentioned it going into this issue. Uh, was they just straight up talk about? You know, it's weird that such an anti-violence comic has so much violence. Yeah. Uh, and and I love that's kind of the uh, and unlike the real deal, fictional violence is cool as shit. Uh, that reminded me, did you ever see that Tarantino interview where he's, uh, asked why his films are so violent and it's like a very antagonistic interviewer and he's just like, because it's so much fun, Jan. (laughs) 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 It's just like, yeah, that is it. Like it is, you can draw that that distinction between, between the, the fictional and the real without, you know belittling the other Uh, that's that's something i've been struggling with as a writer in my uh in my novel that i'm working on because it's like uh it's like a pirate action adventure thing and mm -hmm. i really like don't i don't like violence and i don't like killing people but also fictional violence is fun it's sick i love writing sword fights you know like it it is such a such an interesting dynamic (laughs) Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm I'm someone who is like absolutely obsessed. Go watch my uh, my uh, Spielberg video to see. I I have I'm very passionate. Wait, about you make videos, action. Sean? This is a former life, Noah. Yeah, and okay. uh, <laughs> young. I was a young man then. The uh, <laughs> I'm I'm very I'm very passionate about how action is done, but I'm also like I am the last person to like. I, I don't like slasher film or I don't I don't have the inherent enjoyness uh, enjoyment of uh of slasher films uh where you know the payoff is you see gore. guts and gore yeah. 
but I would highly, highly recommend to you, Noah, and anyone listening that feels the same way. There, there's a film called uh, "You Were Never Really Here" with a uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and I believe it's an Amazon Prime film. But uh, he plays like a sort of muscle hitman guy. It's it's Lynn Ramsey who is one of the best fucking directors and did uh, uh, "We Need to Talk About Kevin," uh, which was a also amazing movie also very much about violence but this is a film where it has some of like uh i think it it might be the first film to really portray violence in a sort of ethical way or a very at least conscious way where uh where it's like it almost turns its head away from violence uh but in that way it makes it even more impactful uh, and yeah, it's a really, really just going, going to it as someone, you know, who struggles, uh, with watching things that are too violent, uh, and trying to figure out like, what are alternatives? What are alternative ways to portray this? Uh, yeah, check out that movie. Cause it's a, it's I, really, really well done. Yeah. I, th- I think it's very, it's interesting and clearly very deliberate that they're drawing attention to that violence. And on the last panel, like the the last panel there is is pretty harrowing of uh Hazel covering her ears. She's got the the thing that Fiona Staples does that like works so well where she'll like make the shadows around the eyes really like heavy and dark when people are like yeah. really kind of like harrowed or scared or traumatized and like mm-hmm. the just the fact that like Hazel especially in context with the narration here, you know that she's covering her ears because she knows like what is about to happen because yeah we've read her in several of these scenes before like one of her earliest memories is probably Quain's face getting smashed in by that right. mace right like like yeah. this is this is something she's experienced a half dozen times before it's like she knows what's coming um and that's that's a pretty like bleak thing for for a child yeah, right. like I mean, that just feels like a really insightful thing. Like, and that's something that is very uh, resonates a lot. Is that that uh, it's the sound that I'll always bother yeah. me the most. Where it's just like it's it is an embodiment of that. Like, uh, not seeing something is is more upsetting. Uh, yeah, and because it's you know it's how your brain fills in those blanks. Uh, yeah. So you know when I hear like a clank or a wonk then, you know, I'm just picturing the most gruesome things imaginable. Uh, yeah. And, and, and yeah. I can't tell you how many how many wonks and kalanks are, I, are, are lodged in my mind uh, traumatically. Yeah, I was in a, a pretty bad car accident in the fall. Luckily, everyone in the car was okay, but the car was totaled. And, and like, the, the clank, the sound of that, the sound and the smell of it was so, oh, so visceral. God. Yeah, dude. Yeah, the. I mean, that is. I. I feel like a lot of people would agree with. Uh, if you've ever been near a, a car accident, especially since you know a lot of like, if you are not directly in the car, like most car accidents, you don't see them happen, but you yeah. hear them, and it's just such a distinct sound and yeah, so scary and just like yeah, it's not fun. I don't recommend it. Also, uh, I'm sorry well, to hear that you were in a in a in a bad wonk. Oh, it's it's all right. It's all right. The car got wonked. We we turned out okay. 
you weren't clanked in the process of the wonking. No. Who? The other thing, the other thing that this this sequence really reminds me of, and in general, this whole arc. Uh, yesterday, I finally—it's been on my to-read list for a long time. I finally started reading a uh, Persepolis. Um, Ooh, yeah. Which is uh, for those that don't know, um, an autobiographical comic. Um, by uh, a writer who grew up in Iran during the Iranian Revolution. And it's very much, like, the themes are very similar to this arc, um, mm-hmm. talking about yeah. kind of, like, just showing the way that children growing up around violence and war, how it how it just warps your experience of growing up. Because, like, children don't fully understand things, but children also aren't mm-hmm. dumb. Like, kids yeah. pick up on things, and kids learn from adults so there's scenes of her like playing around and pretending to be the revolutionary guard and stuff like that like all of that reminded me a lot of this arc yeah 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 no i'm i'm surprised i didn't think of that because yeah it's it's i very much recommend going to read uh persepolis if you yeah you uh have enjoyed this arc or if you haven't enjoyed this arc for those for those reasons, uh, yeah, then go go yeah. check that out. It's a it's a it's one of those reads that'll just stick with you forever. You you know it's you know it's good because it's one of those comics that is celebrated by people that don't read comics. Yeah, yeah, it's one of the good ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh. <laughs> it's a graphic novel. It's not a comic. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, there's a there's an amazing amazing shop around here, but they they use. More than they say comics, they say graphic literature, and Ooh. it just it irks me to my core. Love the that. Shame Love of, that. Love the shame of Love it's, rejecting it's, the very name of this, the medium. This is some sequential art club bullshit that we, I am not behind. We don't play music. We organize <laughs> melody and harmony. <laughs> <laughs> which is why rap is not music it, it, yeah, it is uh, we don't play music we create acoustic paintings it's acoustic literature God. you are you are actually this is what she means when it's the sound that always yeah. bothers me most this is the sound this, of this, violence <laughs> Uh, oh, last right. question about this scene. Last question about the scene. What the fuck is sardines, Noah? I don't know what sardines uh, is. I have no idea, John. Okay. Wait, I'm going to do a quick Google. Vamp. Okay. Vamp. Here we go. Welcome back to the Johnny in the Booth radio show. Okay. Second. Okay. Sardines. That's our show. Sardines is hide and go seek in reverse. One person hides and everyone searches for them. Oh, that shit. sounds. That sounds like the odds are deeply, <laughs> deeply like, stacked against that one person. Sounds like fucking mob justice. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it. I mean, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, that sounds. And that I, sounds, I, I really want to play it though. I do want to play this. Let's get together. That sounds for some horrific. Sardines. Yeah, but yeah, uh, let's do it. Challenge accepted. Uh, all right. Yeah, let's go on to the next part. Yeah. Back on Wreath, Gwendolyn, Sophie, and Lion Cat walk away from the outhouse TARDIS, uh, <laughs> discussing the, the moral murkiness of the deal that just went down. Uh, the HDN continues, To this day, I still prefer the silence of space to the rhythmic dins of the worlds like my moms and dads. Peace always sounded nice, but peace and quiet is the dream. Uh, the trio suddenly hear from off-panel, Sophie, you're all grown up. They see the will and sweet boy backlit by the sunset. Gwendolyn looks mildly horrified, saying, You look unwell. 
Of course you would, fat shame, Gwendolyn. Uh, the will responds, don't be cruel now. Just going through a rebuilding phase is all. He explains he's here to make things right with Lion Cat. Gwendolyn points out that it'd be cruel to separate Lion Cat from Sophie after they've been together for years. And that's why the will wants to take Sophie along too, to show her how to be a proper freelancer like him. Lion Cat confusedly calls him out on his lie not sure what the lie is he corrects himself saying he isn't technically a freelancer anymore but he'll show sophie the ropes while he sets things right with the union gwendolyn is disgusted by the idea but sophie says she's old enough to make her own choices now and she's seen that the way to enact real change is through politics like gwendolyn not by killing individual men like the will's paid to do but lion cat can go with him if she wants Suddenly, Lion Cat finds herself awkwardly caught between the two of them. Uh, after a beat, she timidly crawls behind Sophie. The will, defeated, begins to walk away. Gwendolyn calls out to him, Wait, you just you can't just show up out of the blue and then disappear, Will. He calls back, That ain't my handle anymore. Good luck with the politicking, ladies, as he and Sweet Boy walk into the sunset. Fucking tough on the heart scene. For yeah. Me. I also, I just love that, like, like, especially in comics, but in general in stories, like, I think sometimes people get a little too caught up in the nitty gritty of figuring out, oh, like, well, why are they meeting at, like, you know, this place or, like, w- what are the odds that he tracked them down as soon as they yeah. left this or something like that? Yeah. It's like, it's like, because it's fucking beautiful, because it looks yeah, yeah. absolutely gorgeous, and I comics are a visual medium. <laughs> I literally had that thought because, you know, uh, ten minutes into trying to figure out shit to say about this scene, I was like, "Hey, wait, why is he? Why is he meeting them here?" And then I very quickly realized, "Oh, I don't. There's no reason, and I don't give a shit." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, like it's, it's fine. Who cares? It, it's such a such a beautiful setting for this. Like it just, yeah, it works so well. That shot. Of the Will and Sweet Boy, like, yeah, honestly, like, you can imagine in the movie, like, the swell there as, like, the Will's theme comes in, but, like, (laughs) you know, it used to be all, like, like, hard and grizzled, and now it's kind of, like, sad and mournful, you know, like, it's, it's such a, it's such a moment, and it's such a beautiful place for it to happen. We really, uh, raised the stakes for Haley composing music for this episode so good luck with that one uh i'm sure you nailed it uh but yeah no and then also the fact that yeah we get uh we get to see what sunset and uh magic hour looks like on this yellow sky planet yeah which is already like this rad like yellow to purple gradient and honestly like this is such a like cool emotional scene and Lion Cat steals the absolute show. Like oh, Lion yeah. Cat oh, yeah. when the the lying where she knows he's lying but doesn't know what about. <laughs> I love yeah. the look on Lion Cat's face in that panel where they're standing across from each other and like Lion Cat is just like awkwardly sitting there. Oh yeah, is, like stuck in the middle. It's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> like and then we yeah <laughs> Like we get Lion Cat and Sweet Boy kind of sniffing each other when they yeah, which is such a like yeah, just the fact that Lion Cat is never not a cat. Yeah, he's literally always just like a sentient cat. Which also, by the way, like fucking Lion Cat uh, choosing Sophie over the will. What a cat fucking move! Yeah, like what a what a fucking yep. cat thing to do there. 
Uh, fucking predictable. But I mean, even with the one of my favorite parts of this scene is uh, is Gwendolyn says. So Sophie says. So now we're collaborating with Landfall. And Gwendolyn says, no, for the good of Wreath, we're strategically coordinating with associates <laughs> of opposition forces on actions involving a third party world. And <laughs> Lion Cat just like groans. Yeah. Just like growls in that, like, you know, Lion Cat can't call out bullshit on yeah. that one, but also knows it's bullshit, even though it's not technically bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I really like oh, that. I, I love that. I also just love, like, the will looks so devastated when Lion Cat like chooses Sophie and when Sophie doesn't yeah. go with him. Like clearly you it it's this small little scene, but clearly you have this sense that like he had an idea as to how this was going to go and like he comes in like he seems so like kind and like, you know, it it seems like he's in relatively good spirits in the first half of the scene and then he yeah. leaves just like just devastated i mean that's the thing is that since you you know he has his sort of proposition like you know how he saw this scene going in his mind like it, yeah. it, it is probably like i'm gonna show up at sunset like arrive from the you know and it's gonna be magic i like had this going a specific way in his head and uh and then everything just falls apart in the fact that Literally everyone in this scene is sad. <laughs> the end of this scene is yeah. just so devastating. Like it did not work out for anyone involved. Uh, I will say though, uh, <laughs> it, it does. It, uh, the the scene lost a little bit of impact for me just because I read the last line as "Good luck with your pot licking, ladies," <laughs> <laughs> which, which threw me for a fucking loop. Good luck with your pot licking. <laughs> it's like yeah, fucking tell him. <laughs> what a fucking bird at the end there. Go lick some fucking pots, you losers. <laughs> uh, it, it's also like the the palette of this is it's so like complimentary to the like dark blues of everything happening on Fang. Like it's this like warm kind of like, you know, uh, like juxtaposition to the cool danger on Fang is just this like warm, sad sunset place yeah and then yeah just that like you it feels so much more vulnerable since they're literally just in the middle of a field yeah like like if this was if this happened in a crowded restaurant i think it would not have the emotional impact but it just like it feels like i mean everyone's literally out in the open like it yeah. just feels so emotionally raw because of that but yeah uh it hurt yeah well, uh, we're just under that tight 39 here, Noah, so yep. let's, let's bring it on home. We start on an exterior shot of Fang closing in on the horrific maw of the time suck. The march is standing out, warning people to come out of the tree before they kill Curdy. Hazel is hiding behind rubble and panicking when Jabara and Petrichor show up and Jabara shushes her. Alana walks out of the tree with the laser rifle, threatening, hurt the boy and I separate you two painfully. We gotta do, someday we gotta do a highlight of just great saga threats, because there's a lot of good threats. Uh, um, I mean, especially Alana with her one Yeah, eyes. yeah. 
The March says that they have no idea how much the Moonies are willing to spend to have Marco and Alana killed. Alana tries to bluff her way into a deal, but the March reaches for their sword, pressing a button to transform it into a whip that they then lash around Alana. Hazel bites Jabara's finger and runs out, casting her Explodies spell, which causes the little firebugs to explode. The distraction allows Curdy to slip out and run away, but the March says, Cute prank, Shorty. Now get your narrow butt down here and kiss your mama goodbye. But as they say goodbye, a green sniper tracer appears on their head. We turn the page to a brutal, gory splash of the march being torn apart by green lasers. As they lay there dying, we kind of get a montage of everyone in the scene looking shocked as we get some Hazel narration that reads, The late D. Oswald Heist, Lauper nominated D. Oswald Heist to you, Hazel. Um, Not a winner, though. The late D. Oswald Heist said that the opposite of war is fucking, but I'm not so sure, especially because violence seems to have come to have so much in common with an untreatable venereal disease. It burrows deep inside of everyone it touches, flaring up to get again to hurt others. We turn the page and see a splash page of Marco, bloody and holding the smoking laser gun. The narration concludes, until the day it finally consumes its host. Oof! Yeesh. Oof, John! Oof! And This feels like such a fucking defeat in the yeah. winning here. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Marco looks just so... I don't even know what that expression is. Like, conflicted, hurt, like... Yeah, it, it's not even like... I don't even know if it's conflicted at this point. It just... It, it seems like... Resigned? It's him admitting... Yeah, yeah, admitting to himself that, you know, this thing that he's been preaching this whole time, he just had to break it out of necessity. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's this. This scene's. This is. This is. You mentioned Chekhov's gun earlier. This is <laughs> such good setup and payoffs. There's the gun that they find that pays off here. There's the bugs that Hazel was exploding, and it's interesting because again, like Hazel was lectured by Isabel for exploding the bugs for for that violence, and that mm-hmm. violence uh, saves Curdy. And ends up saving everyone because of Marco. Um, it's it's also just this. The I I really like how they do the the death of the march because this this is not violence that looks cool. This is one of those saga panels that is just gory and painful. Yeah, I mean, especially the proceeding panel too. Yeah, one of the heads still alive. Yeah talking to the dead head yeah yeah and yeah it's just i i really think like in a weird way because we don't really talk about this in reference to adults often but this is kind of the uh the death of marco's innocence it feels yeah. like yeah yeah like, like this he's, is he's he's losing that one optimistic part in yeah him. that was 
that was his way of coping with the things he'd done. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like rough. that the whole this whole arc has been a real uh like conversation about violence and the necessity of violence and Marco throughout has been kind of this stalwart force, you know, arguing against it and then he is the one that in the end needs to enact this violence to save his family. Yeah, but also in the same way that I was distracted by the the how nice the grass looked at, at the last splash yeah. of last yeah. episode. What's, yeah. Uh this fit. Yeah. I want I want this as a workout outfit was my immediate thought turning this page. This I like basically have this as a lounging around that. If you change those <laughs> pants into navy blue instead of green, that's like essentially what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> I just I was like, yeah, it's fucking New Year. Everyone's exercising. Get this get this on the saga shop. I I also I love the smoke coming from the gun. Like it's yeah. so cool. God, what a scene. What a what an and like all of that happens and the start of the scene reminds you that they are still flying toward a fucking time suck. <laughs> fucking like, yeah, the most we're, we're, ominous establishing shot ever. We just took out, you know, the Silver Surfer while we're flying towards fucking Galactus right yeah. now. Like, it yeah, it sucks. Also, I, I, we talked before about are the meerkats like creepy or are they cute? Uh, I'm gonna go on record. This fucking hand coming over Hazel's mouth is, is creepy. F- is hyper creepy. That yeah, that's a witch out. hand. That's a witch like, hand. Like I, I looked at that and I was like, "What is this monster? I don't care about the march anymore. What is this nightmare that's <laughs> grabbing her?" Ugh, Ugh. That upset me. God, yeah. What a what a showdown. What an yeah. intense scene and sequence. And again, there's just like like the time suck there. Like just. This reminder of the impermanence of all of this, and it almost it almost dwarfs the violence. I mean, and again, that's you know, so much of the book to be able to put it in that that context of like, even you know, why does you know it really puts into like it's one of those times we talk about how you know this book constantly uh, challenges these beliefs, and it's so interesting to see the way in which Marco's belief was challenged and it just sincerely, it wasn't about like finding a, uh, st- like a satisfying solution to it. Storytelling wise, it's literally just like Marco realized at least in his mind that that was wrong. This kind of, yeah. uh, absolute that he had in his mind, uh, was wrong and he needed to protect his family which just throws a wrench into everything you're feeling reading this book and the things you're taking away from this book. And yeah, it's, it's a fucking, <sighs> it's a bombshell dude. Yep. Also just an interesting, I like the little parallel. I like flipping back and forth between the first page, the opening splash and the closing splash. It feels like a shot reverse shot. Yeah, that's true. Where it's literally saying, here are the stakes of this issue. <laughs> Everyone's going to die. Uh, and here is the response, the cause and effect. Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment, John? Favorite moment has got to be, you know what? I really like 
we didn't talk about this specific shot too much, but I really like the shot of Lion Cat kind of hiding behind uh, uh, behind Sophie. Yeah. And that kind of that use of negative space there to yeah. not just imply this is where Lion Cat came from, like a nice little uh, visual thing, but also just like that empty feeling. Yeah. In, literally in the Will's direction. That emptiness there, and also just the the same kind of awkward sadness in uh, uh, Sophie's body language and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, that's just fucking heart wrenching. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go from the same scene. I think the will and uh, and sweet boy showing up is my mm-hmm. like 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 just the sunset at his back. The you're all grown up, um, like just, mm. oh, oh, my heart, John. He my heart. cared for once, and he had hopes for once. Like that's the so, thing. Like yeah. he literally, we just saw how hard it was t- for him to tear himself away from the lifestyle he had, and this was his reason for doing that. And then to see that all fall apart, it's, it's not okay. Good. I'm sure it's he's gonna nice. realize he's okay and retire. He's gonna bounce back, and baby. Just just live it out with sweet boy here and no comes one the rebound else will right get now hurt. if you look again. in the distance in the field here uh you can see you can see really small just a just a real hot lady that he's walking <laughs> towards just a, a hot lady with a hot pop for sweet boy <laughs> it's the it's the it's the stock with a big old bandage on her rib cage it's she's fine Oh god. Uh no, how about a song for this one? So uh because it's th- this issue is kind of talking about fictionalized violence and portrayals of violence in media, I'm going to pick a song that uh in general is very on theme for Saga and I f- I feel like I've picked it before, but I looked through the playlist and don't see it. Um Violence s- by Blink-182? No. Violent pornography. <laughs> By uh, system nice. of a down, <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> I mean, if that's not if that's if that's not a description of Saga, I don't know what is. You know what? I'm gonna pick one here. This is this is gonna be actually. Uh, also, I'm just I'm I'm gonna. We're slowly making this playlist something I want to listen to, <laughs> just barely. <laughs> I feel like we've we've upped our game a little bit recently, but I'm gonna say uh, here's one that works for the last two scenes. Uh, I'm gonna say "Back to Black" by Amy Winehouse. Oh, uh, these of Marco kind of regressing here uh, and going back to a place that he really, really, really did not want to. Yeah. And you know, wherever the will's going, I'm sure it'll be a fun old time. But, yeah, I could, uh, I yeah. could see, I could see the will walking away to the sunset to "Back to Black." There, that's a good. Both call. of them are going to their vinyl record. You only said goodbye with words. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, these two guys are going to go cry now for sure. Finally. Do we have a question of the week, Noah? Um, Just make one up. Just make uh, make one up, dude. I I do have one. Um, uh, Was... Did Marco do the right thing? Ooh, shit! Like that's I, I, I think that's kind of the 
the big question of this yeah. issue, right? And in general of this arc. Right behind, where do I get that fit, though? Yeah, right behind, where do I get that fit? That's the... That's the... <laughs> That's the that's the one. Actually, we, let's just skip your question. Yep, good call, good call. Just give just just paste links into the YouTube comments because I'm sure those will work fine and YouTube will love them. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I really like your question. I'm also gonna add onto this just as like a nice little. I, I want to get more advice from our listeners. I'm I'm a guy that likes advice. Uh, so when you're yeah, when you feel like you you're, need it. I don't yeah. even know is it what sort yeah, of an insult that is. Yeah, or you don't? What? <laughs> yeah, you seem like the kind of person that needs advice, you soy boy. Hey, fuck you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say, you know, if you're, let's say you are in not, hopefully not the fucking position that Marco or the Will are in here, but when you feel yourself kind of regressing back to like that, that emotional pit. You know, yeah. where you feel like you're 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 going down down that uh, spiral a little bit. What are your go tos to to kind of get you get you energized, pull you out of that that pit? That's what I want to know. Emotional go tos, your escape ropes. That's what I'll call it. Uh, so two big ones. Remember, leave comments on the. It'll be the pinned tweet if you're listening to this right after it comes out, where you can respond to, or just the YouTube video. Are we just going to have a giant get caught up to all of the question of the week things once we're caught up? You fucking know it, baby. Oh, I baby. mean, it'll, we'll have, we'll, we'll have, we'll, we'll be down to, you know, like eight episodes a year or however many issues yeah. will be coming out a year at that point. So we'll have plenty we have of filler content stuff to, to do. Fill. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. In general, in general, uh, I, I was thinking in this issue, like I, uh, we talked early in the conception of this, of, uh, sometime doing like character study episodes and once we're once we're caught up uh i i really want to do um i really want to do uh, a whole kind of character arc uh focus on marco specifically because i feel like this this arc is kind of like uh without spoiling anything that happens to him um clearly it's pretty integral to what's gonna happen in the future um and it's a it's a pretty uh yeah. It's it's a pretty key point in his character arc. I'll say that. I'll leave it at that because I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, but we will do spoilery conversations and talk about some stuff there. Well, my assumption for the next issue was he just tosses the gun and is like, whew, that was crazy, guys, huh? And then he's <laughs> just like, all right, back to no weapons. No, no I think and then he, he just goes. He just goes as normal. I th- I think I think he takes the John Rambo arc and just spins <laughs> off into comics of him just gunning down people. It just becomes just a fun action thing. Yeah, 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 and completely ignores the message of what the original piece of work was trying to say. That's why they stopped for so long in the middle. They're just like, wait a second, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what the fuck? The last, we... the last fucking thirteen issues of that was just him fucking killing everyone. <laughs> <laughs> with a cigar in his mouth i don't yeah. understand <laughs> i mean i just want that because we'll get more shirtless marco and anytime shirtless marco is is on the page i am a happy reader there we go 
All right, Noah, by my count, we're uh, at just tight 39? at 30. We're at 35 minutes, so if you just want to vamp for a good four minutes. For a good four uh, minutes, I've been counting yeah. on my fingers the time, so I assume it's pretty <laughs> okay. spot on. Yeah. But, uh, All 39 of your fingers. <laughs> Dude, I can count how many. I count the tens on my toes. No, yeah. John, John just has 39 fingers. Like, not extra hands or anything, fucking... just two hands <laughs> That's so horrific. That's so (laughs) horrific. You should fucking see me on the piano, though. I'm fucking (laughs) unreal. Just unreal. (laughs) It's not even music at that point. It's like it's like an acoustic tapestry. Uh, No, fucking get us out of this thing, please. Well, I want to thank Brian K. Vaughn. Okay, go ahead. Go for it. Yeah. I, I want to thank Fiona Staples, though we do uh-huh. have some notes for you. <laughs> um, I want to thank the wonderful folks at Image Comics. And of course, Photographic. of Photographic. course, I did not forget uh-huh. about. I did. Wait, I just want. I did. There. I did not forget about the master of the Wunk Kalank. Phonographics, Mr. Wonky Kalank himself, and John. Should should I should I say it, or are you gonna say it? How are we gonna how are we gonna sign this off? Uh, well, that depends on one question. Am I shitting? Bye. Eight thirty nine.